Welcome to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Podcast in Scottsdale, Arizona. We are Christian Disciples in Mission. Well, thank you very much for being here this morning. I hope to uh, invite you to learn some really important things about certain parts of Scripture. Um, so what you have in front of you, you have the copy on page 1 of the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments, and chapter 20. This translation is the New Jerusalem Bible translation. Those of you who know me are not surprised at all that I use that translation. It is the English translation used throughout the world, the English-speaking world, except in the United States of America. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to look, look at these with you because I, I don't know how many of you have ever read the Ten Commandments. I'm not wasting your time. I want you to take a look at this with me. So if you look at the text, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt where you lived as slaves. You shall have no other gods to rival me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, and I punish a parent's fault in the children, the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren among those who hate me. But I act with faithful love towards thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So the first commandment is obviously a very long text, okay? And it says basically, there is but one God, I am your one God, and you may not have any other gods besides me. I'm a very jealous God. What I want you to notice in this text is on the um, fifth line down from the top, I punish people, the children, the grandchildren of those who hate me. Look at that word punish, okay? Now we go to the second commandment. You shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God, for Yahweh will not leave unpunished anyone who misuses his name. These are the two, if you look at the page, these are the two times that there is a punishment threatened. Okay? Nowhere else on the, on the rest of the commandments is a punishment mentioned. Just these two, the first and the second commandment. Know that because when we get to Matthew 25, you're going to find there's massive punishment. Okay? So notice that. I circled that in my text. Third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for Yahweh your God. You shall do no work that day, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servants, men or women, nor your animals, nor the alien living with you. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens, earth, and sea, and all that these contain, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why Yahweh has blessed the Sabbath day and made it sacred. When you look at uh, Bible commentaries, and there are lots of good commentaries out, when you look at this commentary on the third commandment, one of the things they say is this commandment probably came in to protect servants. Rather than work them to death, work them seven days a week, they had to also give your servants and even the aliens among you, non-Jews, you have to give them a day off. That's a sacred day. It doesn't say you have to go to synagogue. It doesn't say you have to go to the temple. It says it's a sacred day. You may not work on that day. Notice what it says and what it doesn't say, okay? So when you hear, you know, in, in Christian denominations, the third commandment says you all have to come to Mass on Sunday, say, uh, Father, go read the text, okay? It doesn't mention going to the temple or synagogue or church, okay? You have to make that day sacred. It's sacred day because God rested on that day. That goes back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, you have the seven days of creation, and on the seventh day, God rested. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. There is no commandment that says, parents, honor your children, love your children, take care of them, raise them well. There's nothing in here about the children. There's about punishing children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren in the first commandment, 
for those who hate Yahweh. But the fourth commandment simply says, honor your mother and your father. It will not be until you get to what we call the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, the books of Job, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiasticus, uh, the book of wisdom, that you're going to find rec Proverbs, that you're going to find texts that say, parents, take care of your kids. Now, the books of wisdom date from the middle of the second century B.C. So it took a long time for the Jewish people to understand that parents had an obligation to their children. It took a long time. They did not see that obligation initially. We're raising the kids, and the kids are on their own, and, you know, do what they have to do, and, but the kids have to take care of us. Now, I'm going to give you an insight that I have. This is an Andy Dargis. If you think this is baloney, just put it down on his sheet as baloney. But looking at this, this, um, this fourth commandment, it is the only commandment that offers a beneficial blessing. Honor your father and mother that you may live long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Notice it's the only commandment that has a blessing attached to it. Now, where does that blessing come from? So the phrase, and you know how I like to use the Bible to, to, to interpret the Bible, so that you may live long in the land that Yahweh your God has given you. To whom did Yahweh give this land initially? He gave it to Abraham. Go look at Genesis chapter 12, the verses that follow. God comes into the life of Abraham and says, you know, I know you've left your homeland. I know you, you have no descendants. I know you have no purpose at this point. Your dad has died. Follow me in faith, and I will give you a country of your own. I will give you descendants as numerous as the stars that fill the sky, and I will make you a blessing unto all the earth. Purpose, okay? So the first one to receive this blessing is Abraham. And that says to me that the fourth commandment isn't just saying, love your parents, take care of them now, that you may live long in the land the Lord God has given you. It's saying to the children, connect with the past. Connect with your parents, with your grandparents, with your great-grandparents, all the way back to Abraham. So when people say the first three commandments are about God and the next seven are about the neighbor, not entirely. For me, the fourth commandment is partially about God and partially about the neighbor, the neighbor being the parents. It has a double value. And why do I say that? Because of that phrase, that you might live long in the land that the Lord God has given you. That phrase harkens right back to Genesis chapter 12. Okay? So it's not just a commandment that deals, it isn't just honor your parents. It's honor the faith, the religion of your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, all the way back to Abraham. In fact, some of you know that the earliest label that the Jews gave, the God who revealed himself, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You remember that trio. It won't be until Exodus chapter 3 when Moses says to God, who's sending him back to Egypt, Moses say, what's your name? The Jews are going to challenge me and say, who's the, what's the name of the one who sent you? And God will answer, tell them, I am sent you. Tell them, I am. So until you get to this Yahweh, I am thing, the God that we refer to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going to find this throughout Genesis. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that's my interpretation of, of the fourth one. Uh, fifth commandment, you shall not kill. Six, you shall not commit adultery. Seventh, you shall not steal. Eighth, you shall not give false evidence against your neighbor. I guess that eliminates political campaigning, doesn't it? The ninth commandment, and you, if you have a pencil, you're going to write this down. The ninth commandment is you shall not set your heart on your neighbor's house, period. I should have had a space there between the house and the next one. So the ninth commandment is simply you shall not set your heart on your neighbor's house. The tenth commandment, 
you shall not set your heart on your neighbor's spouse or servant, man or woman, or ox or donkey, or any of your neighbor's possessions. Notice that the man's house is more valuable than a man's spouse. <laughs> now that you may know that the, I'm serious about this, if you go look at the second edition of the Ten Commandments, so there are two editions of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, which you have here, and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And if you go look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, the ninth commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. The tenth commandment is, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Somebody switched them. Okay? I think it was Moses' wife, whose name was uh, Zipporah, who slapped him in the back of the head and said, you get this backwards. Okay? So there is a change in Deuteronomy 5 that switches. The wife, the spouse becomes more valuable than the house. Okay? Please notice that. But this is the original chapter 20. Now, I gave you the text of Matthew 25, 31 to 46. I'm expecting that most of you know this text very well because I preach on it so often. I recommend it so very often. And, of course, we have a program here called Matthew 25. I mean, Matthew 25 is becoming the thing at St. Patrick's. Okay? And you know that I think this is so very, very important because in the church in which I grew up, remember I was born in 41, in the church in which I grew up, this never was mentioned. Never. All we had was the Baltimore Catechism. And if they talked about obeying the commandments, it was Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, okay? So Matthew 25 is, is a great revelation, but it, remember, Matthew's gospel is the conservative gospel. Okay? Uh, John is a different kind of gospel altogether. Luke is a bit more liberal. He's writing for Gentiles. Mark is writing for a community in Rome. Matthew has 28 chapters. M Mark has 16. Uh, John has 21. Matthew has 28 chapters. And it's very conservative. And so he takes this, he outlines these six things. I call them the six mandates for eternal salvation. Do this and you will be saved. Don't do it and we're going to miss you. It's a black and white. Okay? So notice, remember, go back to the commandments. First commandment, second commandment offers a punishment. You don't do this, you're going to be punished. The other commandments do not list punishments, do they? But Matthew 25 does, all of them, okay? So I'm going to ask you to turn to page 3, if you would, please. So why did I agree to do this thing? So you could say, well, you know, why don't you do the Ten Commandments in the Gospel of St. John? John makes reference to the Ten Commandments once, only obliquely, the Sabbath. That's all he makes reference to, once. What about Mark and Matthew? Mark and Matthew make reference to the Ten Commandments three times, each one three times. That's all. You look at the sheet, page three, Matthew makes reference to the Ten Commandments nine times. And I think that's worth noting because obviously Matthew knows them well. He's a Jew writing primarily for Jews. And so you can't say, well, you know, he came up with Matthew 25 out of his head. He, he didn't, didn't remember the Ten Commandments. He knows them better than anybody else. He's a practicing Jew. So that you have that list there. And if you go through it, you're going to see where the commandments are, okay? So the first one, verse 4, chapter 10, the Lord your God is the one to whom you must do homage. That's the first commandment. You've heard how it said you shall not kill. That's the fifth commandment. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. That's the sixth commandment. Um, you may not do something that's forbidden on the Sabbath. That's the third commandment. It is against the law for you to have her as brother's wife. Uh, that's uh, Herod, uh, Herod's brother's wife. His brother was Philip. Uh, that's the sixth commandment. 
Uh, honor your father and your mother. Fourth commandment. Uh, you shall not kill. Fifth, you shall not commit adultery. Sixth, you shall not steal. Seventh, you shall not give false witness. Eight, honor your father and your mother. Four, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is not one of the Ten Commandments. That last one is taken from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. So when Jesus says there are just two commandments, love God above all else, he quotes Deuteronomy 5. And then he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, Leviticus 19, the holiness code. And Jesus says, if you obey these two commandments, you fulfill all of Torah and the prophets. Okay? So you're seeing in Matthew's text, he really knows the Ten Commandments pretty well. Um, so you have that 2235, you must, that's Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And finally, pray that you will not have to make your escape in winter or on a Sabbath, because you should not be walking any distance on the Sabbath. So it goes back to the third, third commandment. Okay, page four. So we're going to do some analysis here. Looking at the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verses 1 to 17, the Ten Commandments, we notice that the first three commandments and half of number four focus on duties to God. The remaining seven focus on duties to the neighbor. Okay? But please remember, in my view, the fourth commandment refers as much to God as to the neighbor as the parents. It, goes, it looks backwards because they want each generation to go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That, go back to your origins. You know, sometimes we Americans will, you know, I'm from Massachusetts, so we'll go back to the, uh, the, the Plymouth Rock, the, the, the Pilgrims, and we often Americans go back to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We honor people like George Washington and so forth. And, and people say, well, I don't know who George Washington is. And you say, well, don't you know your history? So it's important to know our history, to remember who we're supposed to be, okay? So that fourth commandment for me does that. Note the special insistence on the duty to one's parents, coupled with a unique promise, echoing God's promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I already spoke about that. Note the abundance of negatives. You shall not, okay? That starts with... the. With, the, shall we, with number five, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. All the knots. Now, when I was growing up, that's what we were taught in Catholic elementary school. Avoid sin. And so our religion was basically don't do the following things. Wholesale, don't do the following things. And we were encouraged at the end of each day, maybe you were too, the nuns encourage us to make an examination of conscience about all the sins you committed on that day. The nuns never said, sit back in a chair comfortably and think of all the good things you've done today. That didn't count. In fact, I remember one sister saying this in class, which really blew my mind. Imagine a man, she said, who lives a good life all his life. Wonderful guy. And one day he commits a mortal sin. And an hour later he drops dead. He goes to hell because he didn't confess the sin in confession. And then, then I thought, all the good things this man did all those years didn't count for anything, but one mortal sin and he goes to hell? This strikes me as very strange. Very, very strange. Okay? And of course, back then, we, it often seemed, in the words of the sisters, that mortal sins were pretty easy to commit. Okay? <laughs> Miss Mass on Sunday, mortal sin. Okay? Eat meat on Friday, says Deacon Jim, mortal sin. Okay? There are so many things that you could do that were considered mortally sinful. 
the Catholic Church in its catechism tried to soften that a bit by saying there are three conditions to a mortal sin. Some of you will remember this. First, it has to be serious matter. Two, you have to be aware of its serious matter. And three, you have to be free to do it. So, for example, even then, if you are sick at home on a Sunday and really you should not leave the house, you should stay in bed or take what you're asking, you didn't have to go. But that, those three conditions weren't stressed much in elementary school at all. Make sure you don't miss Mass. In fact, in the church in which I grew up in Massachusetts, St. Cecilia is the largest church in the Worcester Diocese. It was packed. The Masses were all on Sundays. Only on Sundays, okay? 6.30, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11.30. And you had to finish that hour because you had to clear out the parking lot. Okay? If we had to do that here, my homilies would be a lot more brief than they are. Okay? So back then, remember, this notion of thou shalt not was very keen. And that's the spirituality in which I was raised. It wasn't until I got to a uh, major seminary that I began to, through, thanks to a Dominican who preached a retreat to us, to begin to think, wait a minute, there's, there's another way of looking at this. And that the duty of the Christian is not first and foremost to avoid sin. The duty of the Christian is first and foremost to do good. And so we should spend time, you and I, thinking about the good that we do, rather than obsessing about the thing, the evil things we may have done. I mean, I hear confessions here a lot at St. Patrick's, and there are a number of people who come to confession who confess sins that I say, and this is not really a sin. I've heard this so often. I missed Mass last Sunday because my spouse was ill. I said, if you had come to Mass last Sunday, you'd have committed a sin. You're neglecting your spouse. How can you say that, Father Andre? Look at Matthew 25, care for the sick. Okay? But aren't we supposed to never miss Mass, we Catholics? I'm sorry, you have a truncated religion with that. Okay? You have a truncated religion. And there are so many people who have this truncated religion. Okay? Um, somebody asked me a question, and I, I gave him an answer, and it was a lie. So I lied. That's a sin. Do you know what a lie is, really, the definition of a lie? A lie is denying the truth to somebody who has a right to it. So a child at home, the doorbell rings, mom's in the shower, the child goes to the door, opens the door, and the person says, is your mother home? And the child says, no, because it's none of your business. You do not have a right to that information. Okay? In our own lives, someone will say to you, hey, uh, what's, what's your problem? Why is Father Andre limping these days? You know? Why I'm limping is none of your business. So I say, well, you know, it's, it may be arthritis, it could be whatever, whatever. Lying is denying the truth that someone has a right to it. Remember that old joke? Have you stopped beating your wife yet? No matter what the answer is, it's, you're in trouble. Yes, I have stopped. No, I haven't stopped. Okay? Have you stopped beating your wife? Never mind, it's none of your business. Okay? Let me show you the black eye she gave me. So the abundance of negatives has really impacted our religion an awful lot. The ninth commandment places the need to respect a neighbor's house ahead of the need to respect a neighbor's spouse. This will be corrected in the second edition of the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 5, 6, where the need to respect a neighbor's spouse is the ninth commandment, the need to respect a neighbor's house is the tenth. Now the commandments are given to the Hebrews and obligate them, not the Gentiles. Okay? The commandments are given to the Jews, not to anybody else. And remember, the Hebrew nation, the Jews were a closed circuit, if you want. You were Jewish or you were not. 
Okay? You were Jewish or you were not. If you weren't Jew, you were Gentile. And that was not, not a good thing. And you know some of you already about the hard feelings that existed between Jews and Samaritans. Samaritans were people who had been left behind in the great exiles from the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and they had intermingled with other people and married. They were half-breeds. So the Ten Commandments are only for the Jews. And the Jews at this time are not into making converts. You know, let's find the Gentile and have him become a Jew. If the, con if the guy says, I think I'd like to become Jewish, the answer is uh, we have circumcision on Saturday morning. What if I miss that? Forget it. Forget it. That's your baptismal mark, your circumcision. Okay? So it's, you know, becoming a Jewish convert was not terribly popular. So these commandments are just for the Jews, not for Gentiles. Now let's look at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 and following. They are addressed to Hebrews and Gentiles. Now, I know some of you are questioning this, so I quote here chapter 24. This is the chapter just before 25, in case you're not strong in math. All the peoples of the earth are referred to in chapter 24. And in chapter 25, all the nations will be assembled before me. Jesus will return, sit in judgment, and all the nations will be before him. Not just the Jews. So the six mandates for salvation are offered to everybody. And all the nations of the earth are far more numerous than just the Jewish people. Okay? So Matthew 25 is a really an extraordinary text because you think Matthew's written primarily for Jews, but in fact, chapter 25 is addressed to everybody. Everybody has to do this. Everybody. All six mandates focus on duties to people, which is an expanded understanding of the neighbor, particularly the poor. The marginalized, the stranger, the excluded, the least. You f I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me the drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was, in, I, was a prison, I was in prison and you visited me. And if you did that to anybody, even to someone you might consider the least of your sisters and brothers, you did it to me. This is a gigantic leap. Because in the Ten Commandments, if you go with Andy Dargis, three and a half of them, the first three plus half of four, refer to God. The rest refer to the neighbor. In Matthew 25, all the six mandates are how you relate to Jesus himself. Be good to people and you are being good to the Christ. This is a radical change. Do you see the difference? So in the, in the Ten Commandments, you have the first three plus, in my view, half of four means this is your duty to God. And the second half of four and the rest of the, uh, the five, uh, of the six rather, had to do with the neighbor. Whereas in Matthew 25, it's all about the neighbor in the expanded sense. And if you do that, you, that you are fulfilling your obligation to God. Okay? Now, you know, people come to confession and they say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm very sorry for all of these sins. And sometimes I'll say, um, what did you do this past period to feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and clothe the naked and welcome the stranger and care for the sick and visit those in prison? They look at me like I had just grown a second head. What do you mean? We're supposed to come here and confess our sins. Matthew 25 says, if you don't do these things, you are committing a sin. Okay? This is, for a lot of Catholics, radically new. Radically new. 
And they're willing to go away and say, I won't lie anymore, you know, and I, and I won't drink to excess anymore, and I won't swear anymore, and I won't miss mass anymore. But you say, well, would you go out and feed the hungry? You say, why are you asking this? Because most Catholics are unaware of Matthew 25 and its radical affirmation of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now I'm going to do one comment here. So the last of those six mandates is visit those in prison. Now some people say, you know, I really don't like to go to jails. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It's probably dangerous. It's embarrassing. And so I, I, I'm not sure I want to go to jail. Visiting those in prison just doesn't mean going to jails. It can be helping people who are stuck in addictions. Okay? Many of you know that my dad was an alcoholic. And so this has always been something very foremost in my mind. So when I was a chaplain in, uh, at Assumption College, I created a Sunday night open meeting in the first building on campus uh, for alcoholics. And I announced it at all my classes. Students were welcome to come. So if you're a student, you're drinking a lot, you know, and you think, well, I can handle this, I can handle this, I can come to a Sunday night meeting and listen. This is a public meeting, and listen to folks tell you their story. Okay? And understand that alcoholism is an addiction, and there are a lot of addictions in our society, as you know. People come to confession and say, I'm addicted to swearing, I'm addicted to anger. How many people say, you know, I'm on the road and someone cuts me off? Boy, let me tell you, I'm waving and it's not with five fingers. Okay? And I'm saying pretty nasty things. We have a lot of addictions. Some addictions are good, like breathing, eating, you know. But there are addictions that aren't good. And so it becomes part of our ministry as Christians to assist people in getting over their imprisonments, their self-imprisonments. Sometimes people come and they confess an addiction to some dimension of sexuality. And they say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I just can't seem to stop this. And, you know, I'm sorry. And I say to them, do you realize that this addiction is robbing you of your free will? If you say, I can't stop doing this, I wish I could, but I can't. You've lost something of your freedom. And without free will, we could, there's the most important thing that we cannot do without free will is we cannot love. Love is an exercise in free will. I love you for who you are. In our time, unfortunately, a lot of people say, I love you because you're so good looking, because you're so sexy, because you get so much money, because you're so successful, because you know, you've, you've got this great house and so forth. But love is not, that's not based on love. That's based on a kind of attraction which is superficial to the commitment to the other, which is love. The commitment to the other. I love you because I want to make you happy. And I want you to be happy. I want you to be healthy. I'm going to do all I can to make you happy. So some folks say, well, love is supposed to be a 50-50. What's the one going to do for me? Love is a hundred and a hundred. If I love you, I'm committed to your well-being. And if you don't respond, I still love you. I still love you. That's gospel. That's how the Jesus deal, deals with people, including those 12 dum-dums that he calls the apostles. They're not very edifying, you know, in the gospels. They're really not. So remember, the last one, visit those in prison, is help people get beyond their addictions. We have in our country right now this terrible scandal, this terrible crisis of the opioid crisis. You know, really, really bad. And I'm sure you've heard about it on television. I'm sure you've been aware of it. And you know, people get into this opioid stuff and they say, I, I can't get out of it. I can't get out of it. That is a huge tragedy. They're losing their free will. And without free will, what good can you and I do? 
We're stuck with our, our instincts. We're stuck with our, our imprisonment and reactions, and we don't know how to move ahead. Uh, all six mandates are formulated as positives. There are no negatives. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, welcome the stranger, care for the sick, visit those in prison. All six mandates are severe challenges, which is more than just duties. The Ten Commandments are duties. You're a Jew, this is your duty. In Matthew 25, it's a challenge. Acceptance of the challenges results in eternal life not just in good societal order. The Ten Commandments want to promote order in society. You cheat, you know, you cheat on your wife, you're wrecking marriage if you covet your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's house. This is not good for society. Whereas Matthew 25, this is more than just societal order. This is access to eternal life. Rejection of the challenges results in denial of eternal life and in being considered consigned to eternal punishment. So in the second part of Matthew 25, it, there's that one reference to punishment. In the Ten Commandments, you had two references to punishments in, in, in Commandments 1 and 2. Here in Matthew 25, when it says, you didn't do this. I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you did not give me to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick, and you didn't give a darn. I was in prison, and you didn't visit me. And because you didn't do it to any of these, even the least of your sisters and brothers, you didn't do it to me. And so with all due respect, go to hell. Read the text. Read the text. You, you, you have it, okay? You have it on page, it should be on page two. Immediately after this passage, after, so as soon as you go into Matthew 26, Jesus announces his soon-to-take-place crucifixion. Immediately after this passage, Okay? So verse 46 of chapter 25 is the end of chapter 25. Jesus announces his soon-to-take-place crucifixion. This affirms that living out the six mandates has to cost us. It will be painful and not just convenient or inconvenient. Everything is at stake here. Everything. So we say, you know, well, okay, Father Andre, you know, we, during um, Advent, we, um, we brought in underwear for the homeless New underwear, clean underwear. During Lent, we'll bring in new white socks for the homeless. That's enough, right? That's enough. Isn't that enough? Okay. And Matthew would say, no, it's not. This hasn't cost you anything. What do you mean? I got them at Walmart. It cost me three bucks. That's not what he means. It means it has to cost you something inside because this is affecting your humanity. This is expressing your value system. You say, well, I'm doing it because Father Andre says I should, like Father Andre says I should buy coffee and I should buy chocolate and so forth. I do it because Father Andre says so. Well, that's not a good enough reason. It's, it's got to cost you. Jesus said this is what you have to do. Then he said, I'm going to die because this is what I'm doing and recommending to you. I'm going to give my life for you. This is serious stuff, very serious stuff. Let me just give you one illustration I hope will offend nobody. You know, many of you are, are married. Many of you have been married. And every, every one of you know, is married or has been married knows that marriage is a big challenge. It's difficult. It's very difficult. Not only in our time, which is a time where marriages are in trouble, as Pope Francis tells us, but it's, we're not clones of each other. You know, each of us comes to marriage with our baggage, with our own baggage, our own background, and sometimes that gets in the way. Marriage is hard. So I don't have to convince married people that to have a successful marriage cost you. 
There's a price to pay. And the price to pay is, you know, I'm not going to respond to your anger with anger. I'm not going to be hateful and nasty. I'm not going to strike you. I'm not going to walk out on you. I'm going to patiently try to work with you so that the two of us can stay together and, and continue to grow together. That's hard. It's very hard. And our, Pope Francis says, don't blame those who can't do it. Don't blame those whose marriages fail. Pope Francis says, you don't know how bad it was. Now, one thing that I had to deal with in my ministry many times is when there is an alcoholic in the marriage, and that alcoholic can be physically brutal, can be verbally brutal. And you, know, you encourage that, those people, as I used to do, go to an AA meeting, get into AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? And, and, and get the strength that AA gives to do the right thing, to stop drinking, to change your behaviors, to entrust your, 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 your life to a higher power, okay? That's hard to do. Very difficult, but it's worth it. So when Matthew 25 says, you know, the six things I'm asking you to do, don't be surprised if they cost you. They're bringing you to the limits of what you think is ca you're capable of, you know? One day last year, I, I had lunch over at Barnes & Noble. Before my heart attack, I could go there and have soup and a sandwich. I can't do that anymore. And coming out of Barnes & Noble, I saw a gentleman seated on a chair right near the, the back of the, near the road that comes into Barnes & Noble, and he was sitting there with a sign and said veteran and so forth. And I stopped and looked at him and took out my wallet. And I took out a $10 bill and I walked up to him. This gets emotional. And I walked up to the man and I gave him the $10 bill. And I said to him, God bless you. And he said to me, God bless you. And I walked away in tears knowing that God had just blessed me. When you do something like that, you know, when you do a deed like that, you re recognize that you are living out your Christianity, and it shakes you to the core. It shakes you to the core. You know, many of you know, I don't know that she's here this morning. Anybody, everybody knows Leona Volz? Leona, are you here in the room this morning? I didn't see her. Leona Volz began, I, I've known Leona during my time here. When I first met Leona, she was, she had many issues in her life. And then she began this new ministry called Homeless Matters. Are you all familiar with this ministry? So people bring uh, single-use plastic bags that you get at the grocery stores and so forth, and Leona and her team on Sunday afternoons in uh, the classrooms, they, they cut these things, they, they make them in strips, and then people use a large crocheting hook to create these mats. If you haven't seen these mats, some of these things are works of art. You say, I didn't know there were that many colors in these single-use bags we get at the grocery stores. They make works of art. And then Leona goes out, and some other people do as well, and they look for homeless people, and they stop, and they say, could I offer you this? You can sleep on this. It'll make a layer of air between you and the ground. Can I give you this bag of compassion? We have things in here that you can use. Okay? There's no charge for this. Okay? They go out, and Leona says, nobody has ever said to her, get the hell away from me. Nobody's ever said that. They are deeply impressed by that. And I'm deeply impressed by Leona. And I hope you are too. And if you're a part of that ministry. That ministry is spreading all over the place. There are Mormons doing it now here in the valley. Okay? There are non-Catholic churches who are doing it. There's a community in Africa that has adopted it. All from what Leona started. Did she pay the price for this? Ask her what her garage looks like. <laughs> it's piled up with bags. Okay, Piled up with bags. So, you know, Jesus in Matthew 26 says to us, this is what I want you to do, 
And don't be surprised if it's not always convenient. Not always convenient. Now, last idea. Here at St. Patrick's, we have five pillars of our identity. And the first pillar is hospitality. When I moved here, it'll be 10 years ago. When I moved here, I, for several months, John and I used to go to the Casa for Mass. And then neighbors across the street said, you've got to come to St. Patrick's. I had no idea there was a church this close. And a Sunday morning, Bob and Mary Julian took John and me to this church. Parked the car, and I was walking towards the church. And there was a gentleman there who greeted me and who said, welcome to St. Patrick's. Tom Mole, right there. Tom Mole, okay? I had never been greeted before. That had never happened before. When I was pastor of a parish, I would be inside. We had double doors, and I'd greet people as they'd come in, but we had three doors. I could only be at one. Tom is outside, and he greeted me, and I, I was really struck by that. And I went into the narthex, and I went, John and I went to one of the three doors, and there was another person there saying, welcome to St. Patrick's. And I went into the church, and I thought, my God, this is a different place. Everybody's talking. You know, back in the old days, you went into the church, you kept your mouth shut. You went down the aisle, you made your genuflection, get in your pew, kneel down, you don't talk to anybody. It's absolute silence. Here, everybody was greeting people. And I thought, wow, this is very, very different. Very different. Welcome the stranger. One of Matthew 25, six mandates. Okay? So we do it here. And, I, and Father Eric encourages you. You see a stranger in church, go over and say Hello. Before the Masses, we all see either Father Eric or myself or Paul Hillebrand, anybody in the church for the first time. You know how I do it. If you're here from a different parish, a different diocese, a different country, or a different faith tradition. If you're a Buddhist and you just happen to come by because it was warmer in the church than it was outside, we'd like to welcome you. You're most welcome here. You see a stranger, go over and say hello. Those of you who are familiar with the Monday, Wednesday, 8 o'clock Mass like Deacon Jim is, you know, you, Monday, Wednesday, people don't hesitate to get up and go talk to somebody. And Monday, Wednesday, come the handshake of peace. You can ask Greg Axe about that. Greg moves all over the place with his, with his fist, you know, doing this with everybody. So you don't be embarrassed. There's a new person. Go over and say hello. Don't be shy. Welcome to St. Patrick's. Welcome the stranger. Thank you for listening to the St. Patrick Catholic Community Homily Podcast. We are Christian Disciples in Mission, 